So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed in the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and set us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The um, dictionary defines a paradox as a situation or a statement that seems impossible or difficult to understand because it contains two opposite facts or characteristics. Something that's hard to understand because they appear to be opposites You can't imagine how both of them can be true at the same time. Now, there's a number of paradoxes within the Christian faith. Um, The Trinity is clearly one of the paradoxes in the Christian faith. We believe that there is one God. And we believe that that one God is three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, they're independent persons, but we believe that there is one God. Now that's clearly a paradox. I mean, how can you have both of those things true at the same time? Well, the Bible says that both of those things are true at the same time. Another one of the paradoxes that we have in the Christian faith is the idea of God's sovereignty and our human free will and responsibility. The Bible says that every single thing in this world is under God's control. God's the one who rules over everything. God is sovereign. So how come God holds me accountable for the things that I do? If God's the one who rules over everything, how come I'm held responsible for my actions? There's this paradox. But the Bible says that both of those things are true. We hold those two ideas in tension because the Bible says that both of those things are true. Well, this morning we're looking at another of the paradoxes in the Christian faith. The idea of faith and works. On the one hand, God doesn't need your good works. God doesn't need anything from you. But on the other hand, God expects that you will be involved in what it is that he's doing in this world. There's the paradox. Both of those things are true because the Bible says both of those things. And we need to hold those two things in tension. Now, if you start thinking that God needs us or needs our works or our efforts, well, it's because you've either got a distorted view of yourself or a distorted view of God. But at the same time, God calls us to be his co-workers, to be at work at what it is that he is doing in this world. So both sides of that that paradox are true. 
But the first thing that we need to understand is God doesn't need you. Now, don't take it personally because it's not really a statement about you. It's a statement about God. God is God. He's the one who rules over this universe. God is in no need of anybody else. He is completely self-sufficient. The God of the Bible, the God that we trust in, is a God who is all-powerful. This is what Paul says when he went and stood before the intellectual elite in Athens. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He doesn't, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life, breath and everything else. The God that we believe in is the all-powerful God who created this world. He is not dependent on us for anything. Now, I know I've told this story before, but it, it bears telling just once more. I heard a story about a girl who uh, was being interviewed on ABC Radio. She'd just done a, a, a trip through India. She'd been trekking around through India and she'd stopped in a village where they had a shrine like this. This isn't the one, but a shrine like this, a Hindu shrine in this village. Now, Hindus worship millions of different gods and there will be shrines like this throughout many, many villages right throughout India. And each day people will take their sacrifices out to the shrines and place them before their god. So you'll see all of the different gods represented there. But in this particular village that this young girl was visiting, somebody had taken a statue of Jesus and placed it in the shrine. Now, that had thrown all of the people in the village into a little bit of a spin because they weren't sure what food you would take out to Jesus. All of the other gods who are being worshipped there are Indian gods, so they know what food to take, but they didn't know what food to take out to Jesus. So after a lengthy discussion among the leadership in the village, they decided that what they would take was cheese sandwiches with the crusts cut off. Now I'm not sure how you arrive at the point of thinking that that's what Jesus would want, but that was what they did. But I think there's a little bit of that in us as well, that we can think that somehow God is dependent on us and we'll determine what it is that God needs for us. We think that God can't get by without our contribution of cheese sandwiches with the crust cut off. But the Bible says that God is complete without us. See, that's what it says in that that passage, isn't it? That second verse says, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He's the sovereign God who rules over everything. And because he himself gives men all life and breath and everything else. God's not dependent on us. We're completely dependent upon God. But another mistake that we can make is that we can think that what we do will actually earn some kind of favour in God's eyes, that we can accrue brownie points in God's eyes by the good things that we do. Uh, but here's the verse from, a, uh, from Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For it is by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the Ephesians passage that we read before, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace 
You have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The way that we enter into a relationship with God is through the free gift of forgiveness that comes in Jesus. God doesn't offer us forgiveness for what he can get from us. He knows that there's nothing that we have that he needs. He wants to know us. He wants us to enter into a relationship with him. Not for his benefit, but for our benefit. And we can't earn God's favour. No matter how much you do in your Christian life, you'll never be able to boast about what it is that you've done. No matter how hard you've worked for God, you can't do anything that's going to bring you any closer to God. God's grace in Jesus is what saves us, not our works. And there's one further thing that the Bible says about our works. It says that you shouldn't even expect a thank you from God. There's an illustration that Jesus used uh, when he was talking to people, and this is what he said. Suppose one of you had a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. What do you say to the servant when he came in from the field? Come along now and sit down and eat. Would he not rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat, and after that you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Now, in case you're wondering what the point is that Jesus is trying to make here, well, he tells you in the next verse. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So the God that we believe in is the all-powerful God who rules over everything, who is deserving of our respect and our honour. He's deserving of our whole lives. We should never think that God would be indebted to us for the things that we've done for him. But here comes the paradox. See, while God doesn't want, well, while God doesn't need our works, he does expect that we will be fellow workers with him. God expects that those who have faith in his son Jesus, that they will be at work in this world, working with God at what God is doing in this world. I sometimes feel like it's, um, it's a little bit like a parent who's baking a cake with their child. You know how that, I'm sure that all of the parents here have done that at some stage. Um, most of the parents will remember that uh, it would be far easier and simpler to just do it yourself and leave the kids watching a video in front of the TV. You know, that would be the, the cleanest and simplest way and you'd get the best result that way. But as parents, you want to involve your kids in this. You want them to understand what life is like and, and the things that will be going on. And I think that that's the way in which God involves us. It's not that he needs our help. I mean, he managed to create the whole universe, for goodness sake. I I doubt that there's anything that we're going to be able to do that would help God. But God graciously involves us in the work that he's doing in this world. Now, that passage in Ephesians says that there are good works. Uh, Have a look at it, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, no one's going to be able to boast about any of the works that they have done, but look at what verse 10 says, the very next verse. For we are God's workmanship, created 
in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, there's the paradox summed up in those two verses. God doesn't need your works, but he's got works prepared for you to do. You're never going to be able to boast about your works, but God still expects that you'll be involved in those works. Your good works won't count for anything when it comes to being made right with God, but God has prepared in advance good works for us to do. And we need to keep that paradox in mind. Our good works don't make us right with God. And when we have done them, we should be saying, unworthy servants we are, we've only done that which we ought. It's our faith and only our faith that makes us right with God. And Paul says you can't even boast about the faith that you've got. You didn't even muster that yourself. That's been given to you as a gift from God. Everything about our salvation is dependent upon God's grace. So what is the work that God expects us to be doing in this world? Well, to understand that, you need to understand what it is that God is doing in the world. God doesn't want us working independently of him. He wants us working in what he's doing in this world. God wants us to be involved in his work. God's work is showing his love to this world through his son, Jesus. He is at work bringing people into his kingdom so that they can then, in turn, show God's love to this world and help to bring other people into the kingdom. The number one priority that God has in his work in this world is bringing people into his kingdom. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. Jesus didn't come to make us nicer or help us to be better people. He came to save us. The Son of Man came to save that which is lost. That's us. And Jesus has entrusted to us his church, that message of forgiveness and life. I love the way that Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that that all surpassing power is from God and not from us. In that little imagery that he's using there, where the jars of clay The beat up old saucepans, jars of clay were the cheap things that you'd have in your house for storing. They'd be the things, they'd be the the cheap end of things, the beaten up saucepans. But we contain this treasure, this message about Jesus. And then in chapter 5 he goes on to describe it this way. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God is the one who reconciled us to himself and now he has given us that responsibility of passing on that message of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's the most important work that we can be involved in as his church. God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus 
and we have been reconciled. That didn't happen by accident, you know. You didn't get reconciled just because you happened to be walking down the street at the wrong time or the right time, as the case may be. It didn't happen by accident. It happened because someone told you that good news about Jesus. They explained to you what faith in Jesus actually meant. Now, it may have been your mum or your dad. It may have been a friend. It may have been someone at Sunday school or a scripture teacher who explained that good news about Jesus to you. But someone has told you about having faith in Jesus and the importance of it. And as someone who's been reconciled, like this verse says, as someone who has been reconciled to God, guess what? You've got the ministry of reconciliation. You've got that message of reconciliation. That you can tell people that God's no longer counting their sins against them, that Jesus has died and that they can be made right with God. But God's also at work bringing people to maturity, helping them grow and mature in their relationship with God. We saw this in 1 Corinthians just a few weeks ago as we're looking at the fact that God has given a whole bunch of different gifts to people. This is what Paul says in Romans. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same functions, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all of the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. And then he goes on to list a whole bunch of different gifts that we have. We have all of these gifts, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of everyone else in this room. God has given you those gifts so that you can build up and encourage others. All members of the one body. We all have a responsibility towards each other. If this is your church, then you are one of the members of this body. And you have a responsibility to the other members of this body. It's always encouraging to look around and see a group of people who do take that seriously. Who do want to serve each other, care for each other, look after each other, love each other. And when Paul gives those lists, he says that there's a whole range of different things. Very upfront things and very behind-the-scene things, but all of those parts are necessary for the body to function. When they put together a rugby league team, and I chose one of the Balmain Juniors teams here down on Leichhardt Oval, that photo was taken. When you look at a rugby league team like that, there's a whole bunch of people who make up the team. I mean, you've got to have big forwards who are ready to make that break in the middle of the field, and you need fast wingers and a fullback who can understand the game and follow the ball around. But look at the guys with the black shirts on in the middle. I mean, none of those guys are going to be getting out on the field, are they? Some of them are in their 60s. They're not going to be playing. But you know what? They're essential to that team. That team wouldn't be able to function properly without every single person in that photo. That's why they're all in that photo. Because a team is made up of a whole bunch of different members who all play different roles. Some of them are trainers. Some of them are physiotherapists. Some of them are coaches. Some of them are wingers and forwards and centres and halfbacks. Every single person is necessary for the team to be able to function properly. God is at work bringing people into his kingdom and then seeing those people grow and mature. That's the work we're here for. That's the responsibility that God has given to us. That whole faith and works thing Well, it continues to be the paradox, doesn't it? 
And it's so important that we're clear about both sides of this equation because both are necessary, but you've got to understand the part that both play. I always think it's sad when you see people in churches who are confused by this. I can remember sitting at a bedside in in Byron Bay Hospital with a man who'd been an elder in the Presbyterian Church longer than I'd been alive. He didn't have too much longer to live and he knew that he didn't have much longer to live. And I remember him saying to me, I hope I've been good enough. Well, can I say, there's a man who doesn't get that paradox. He doesn't understand that it's not about his works. That's not what's going to make him right with God. What God is looking for is his faith in Jesus, trusting that Jesus can make him right with God. So when that man stands before God, his acceptance in God's eyes is not going to be on the basis of what he has done. It's going to be on the basis of what Jesus has done. And the only way that he can take advantage of what Jesus has done is by trusting Jesus. And equally important is not trusting himself. I read a book a few years ago by a guy called Alistair McGrath. It was called Doubt. And he made a point that I'd never quite thought of before. He said that the opposite of faith is not doubt. Doubt's actually part of the faith process. The opposite of faith is self-reliance. See, faith is all about trusting Jesus. Self-reliance is all about trusting yourself. So the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is self-reliance. Trusting that you can make yourself right with God. Faith and works. It's not a matter of choosing one, but it's essential that you're clear about the place of both. Because if you get confused, then you're confused about what Christianity is about. Without faith, then your good works are worthless. And when you trust yourself, well, that means that you're not trusting Jesus. What the Bible calls for, what God calls for, is that you stop trusting yourself and start trusting his son. And then you're ready to be used by God for the good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do.